So look at Hebrews chapter 11. That's where we're going to start. That's where Sarah's mentioned in, in the hall of faith here. Genesis chapter 11, 
get a hold of these days, um, most of the time they're on our phones or they're laying around the house. I hope you bring one. If, you, if you're not in the habit of bringing some form of the scripture, just get in the habit of doing that. I think, I think it's important to, to be able to read with whoever's reading with. And that way you can, if we screw it up, because we could possibly do, we try our best, but then you've got the real words right there in front of you too. But in Genesis 11, um, towards the end of that, verse 27, they've gone through the account of who, who came after Noah. So the flood happened, Noah was there, we've gone through all his children and children and children and children, and then we get down to Abram, or Abraham, it's the same person, and it says that um, the name of Abraham's wife is Sarah, or Sarah, but I'm going to call her Sarah, because that's her name, that's what God changed it to, and it says that Sarah was unable to become pregnant and had no children, and John MacArthur, he says she was tortured by her childlessness. Every recorded episode of ill temper or strife in her household was related to her frustrations about her own barrenness. It ate at her. She spent years in a grip of frustration and desperation to get to Noah. She desperately wanted to get a Noah. But she promptly concluded that God himself was restraining her from having children. It was torture. something so badly that you can't have it, and you can't have it. It's almost unbearable sometimes. And I think it wasn't just about her wanting a child for herself. I think she wanted one for her husband. She wanted to be able to have a child with him, for him, or complete that family. It was even a a much bigger deal in their time for her to be childless than it is for me to be childless. It was a much bigger deal. It was it was very much so thought of as a curse, or she was she would have been ostracized severely. It was it was much worse for her. But I, I really I just I can't imagine how difficult it was. And so the story of, of Abraham and Sarah continuing and Keith covered a lot of this and I don't want to rehash Abraham, but they were married and they're one and all this and so their, their lives kind of intersect obviously so much and in Genesis chapter 12 we we really get into Abraham and Sarah's life when they are 75 and 65 years old and so it says that the Lord had said to Abram leave your native country your relatives and your father's family and go to a land that I will show you I will make you into a great nation I will bless you and make you famous you will be a blessing to others I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot, that was his nephew, went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. This is where, this is where kind of everything changes. It's not just a want a child anymore. It's a promise of a child. God has said, I will make you a great nation. And the only way that happens is if they begin to have children. You've got to have kids coming along in order to leave your, your inheritance to. And you've got to have people to build this nation there. And so they, I firmly believe, they believed God when he said this. 
Because it said that the Lord said, leave your country, and then Abraham departed. He left. He got up and left as soon as God said it. And then, as oftentimes it seems to happen, then it's like the whole world fell apart. Anybody ever experienced that? Like you like finally get enough courage to do exactly what God's called you to do, and it's like everything falls apart after that? A famine came. They had to go to Egypt. Things got real, real hard. Um, they lied about who they were. They, Their family and all their cattle and labor and everything they owned was with Lot's family, all of their family and cattle and everything they owned. So these two laborers, and all, they started fighting over who needed the supplies more. They ended up having to split. Lot went one way. Abraham went one way. And they had all of this stuff that's going on shortly after. I don't know if it's shortly. Sometime after. Then Abraham called, or the Lord called Abraham, and he actually obeys. And at the time when Lot goes his way, then God looks at Abraham and he says, All right, everything that you can see, every land that you can see from here, I'm going to give that to you. And, and things didn't just suddenly get better then.
this is a story a lot of people know about Ishmael sitting out there, Abraham's wife, and not been able to bear children to him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarah's proposal. So Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. This is when Abram is 85 years old. This is 10 years later. Now, I am neither a wife. I've never been a wife. And I do not have a husband. But I am a woman. And I would just like to take a moment and look me and say, Almighty, 
serve me faithfully and live a blameless life, and I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. It's the same promise. And it says that this, Abram fell face down on the ground. And think about the progression that Abram has gone through. In Genesis 12, when he first got called, it said, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country and your relatives and your father's family and go to the land I will show you. So Abraham departed and left as the Lord instructed. And then he got tired. In Genesis 15, it says, Sometime later the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram. I will protect you. I will reward Your reward will be great. And that's when Abram kind of argues back. He kind of pushes back and he says, Look, Abram replied, Sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? And sometime in all of that, I think this is a picture of the journey of faith. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm El Shaddai, God Almighty, serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. And it says that this, Abram fell face down on the ground. I think they had just, even though they still didn't have that baby, I think they had heard him, they had heard the stories of Noah, they had seen God come through in ways that aren't recorded in Scripture, I'm certain of it. I think they had just seen God be faithful to them. And now, when the Lord speaks, Abram falls flat on his face. And so, it goes on in Genesis 17, it says that this is when Sarah's name is officially changed to Sarah. It says, I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will, rich, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Great kings of nations will be among her descendants. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 120? Honest to goodness, I can't imagine becoming a mother at 39. I can't imagine becoming a mother at 90. He thought, how can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? Abraham said to God, maybe, I mean, I guess maybe he's still kind of assumed. Maybe Ishmael was it. Maybe Ishmael lived under your special blessing. And God says, no, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. My covenant will be confirmed with Isaac, who will be born to you and Sarah about this time next year. And when God had finished speaking, he left Abraham. And there's a there's a great little story in Genesis chapter 18 where the same kind of thing happens to Sarah. They're having dinner with the Lord and two angels. I keep telling you, you should read the Bible. It's really interesting. Why, it says, where is Sarah, your wife, the visitor asked? She's in the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I'll return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. And Sarah was listening to the conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. She's an old woman. And she laughed silently to herself and said, How could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my husband is so old? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, Get an old woman like me having babies? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I'll return this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah was scared. Aren't you scared when your parents like bust you on stuff that you really actually did? And then she says, I didn't laugh. Okay. And the Lord says, No, you did laugh. Okay, I just think it's funny. Like, even when you don't believe God, you can tell him that. He's big enough to take that. He's 
big enough for you to say, oh, that is, I just don't, I'm just not sure. God, like, I just don't know about that. I think it's okay to tell him that. But he knows you don't believe him anyway. So go ahead and be honest about it. But it turns out that he really did keep his promise. And many of us know the story. Genesis 21 is where it, it, it all comes about. It says the Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time that God said it would. And Abraham named her son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham was circumcised as God, as, as God had commanded. Abraham was, Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. That should say Isaac instead of Seth. Does that say Isaac instead of Seth? Anyway, keeping this from circumcision. Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter.
And Jesus says, what do you mean? If I can, anything is possible if a person believes. And this is my personal behavior. Because it's so real for me. Because the dad said, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I mean, anybody in the room identified with that? Where you go, no, God, I really do. I really do believe you. God, please help me believe. know his 
his love. You can know what he does, what his personality is like. You can know who he is. That's why you can have faith in him. It wasn't just that Abram said, well, I don't know who this God is. Maybe that's how it started. Maybe it is. Maybe, maybe the first step is to say, okay, I don't understand it all, but I'm going to follow him. And then as God begins to prove himself over and over and over again, as he shows himself trustworthy, that's how you know that you can trust him. That's how you know that you can continue to follow him. That's where that faith continues to be grown. Faith just isn't just plopping down and saying, well, I hope it holds me up. I mean, if that was it, then really I would just say, you know, well, I hope this bucket of ping pong balls are going to, I don't know. I'm just thinking that God's not, show you who he is. And if you're looking back, I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 11. This leads right into Hebrews chapter Hebrews chapter 10 is where I want to look. It leads into Hebrews chapter 11 that talks about all these people who have great faith. Hebrews chapter 10, the beginning of Hebrews chapter 10 is a description of who Jesus is and why he came and how he was the ultimate sacrifice, the once and for all. He was the one that came and died, and he's the one that God used to forgive us for our sins. It's only Jesus. Verse 14 says, For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who were being made holy. That one, one offering, it was just Jesus. And look at verse 19, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. It says, So, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. So when Jesus died, there was when Jesus before Jesus died, there was the temple. It, there was a huge curtain that separated people from the most holy place where God was. When Jesus died, that temple, I mean that curtain ripped, and we were able to go straight into where Jesus is. Okay? So since we have a high priest, that's Jesus, who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our Guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed in pure water. In verse 23, it says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promises. That's why they had great faith. Because God was trustworthy.
But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated, for they were too good for this world. The NIV version says the world was not worthy of them because they trusted God and they said, you knew everything you went through for me. I do not care. I'm the Jesus. I'm with God. I'm going to believe him. He said he would take care of me. He said he would provide for me. He said he would provide salvation. He said that he would not let my needs go unmet. He said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. I'm with him. So Hebrews 10, back in Hebrews 10, it says, don't throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you'll continue to do God's will. Then you'll receive all that he's promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we're not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. There is no assumption in this that just because Jesus died, you are saved. You have a responsibility to that. You have a responsibility to respond to what Jesus has done in our lives. And to, to somehow mislead you as the world wants to, to say, well, just be a good person or you'll eventually go to heaven or anything like that would be absolutely wrong. And I don't want to talk you into anything. I don't want to make you afraid of anything, but I want you to know the truth. And Hebrews chapter 10 kind of wraps up as this, dear brothers, if we deliberately continue sinning, after we've received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectations of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. So every time I speak, I feel like there is one question that has to be answered. And that question is, what does it get up here, we can talk about Jesus, we can tell you everything there is to know about the Bible, but until you understand why it matters to you, all of this is for nothing. We've just wasted all of our time. Until you apply it, until you say, okay, how am I going to be changed by this? What am I going to do in response to this? We're all wasting our time. So what, what does it matter? What does any of this matter to you? I think the question is, do you trust him? And sometimes, even for me, as a believer, some days are easier than others. Some days when I'm not getting my way like I want my way, it's real easy to lay in my bathroom floor and cry and just cry. Some days when I'm walking with Jesus like I need to be walking, it's a whole lot easier. And I think there's there's two points there. There's the point of the believer who says there was a time that, yes, I followed Jesus. I believed him. I trusted him. 
And I'm like that dad who says, I believe, help me with my unbelief. I think there's also a category of people who if they were just real honest, they could say, you know, maybe I even, maybe I've even prayed, or maybe I've even talked a good game, or maybe I talked about the Lord. But if I just had to be real honest, I just haven't trusted him.
this to the side, and that you have a perfect plan. 